just want to encourage you as we start out. You got a bit of paper, a bit of a pen. I encourage you to pull that out this morning, especially if you're a parent here today. Uh, we're in this series that we're calling Legacy, Living a Life That Lasts. Legacy, Living a Life That Lasts. And we're into week three of the four-week series uh, on, uh, on Legacy. Encourage you to be here next Sunday morning as we finish that off, uh, as we look at uh, our legacy and our relationships uh, with others, our relationship with the church and our relationship uh, with, with God too. And what we're giving into those relationships right now. And uh, I really want to encourage you to be here as we share something uh, on those areas, not to miss uh, next week. But this morning we look at the legacy of parenting. But, but as um, I said in week one, this series really came out of a conversation that I had with someone a number of weeks back who, uh, who was at a Thanksgiving service for a friend of ours who'd passed away and we were both there and they said, you know what, I would love to be at my own Thanksgiving service to hear what they would say about me, what they're going to say about me. And uh, in my, in my um, devotions this week, I came across a story that I think highlights this a little bit, and it's the story of Alfred Noble. And some of you may know of the story of Alfred Noble. Uh, this is what Alfred looked like. Uh, but anyway, so you can tell Alfred was uh, a number of years back. But he is best known for the Nobel Peace Prize. Less known is the fact that Alfred Noble also invented dynamite. As well as a chemist, engineer and innovator, he was a weapons manufacturer. In 1888, Alfred's brother, Ludwig, died. And a French newspaper in error, in error published Alfred's obituary. It condemned him for his invention of dynamite and these were the words that it said. The merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Noble, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. As you can imagine, he was absolutely devastated when he read his own obituary and it said those words, indicating the sort of person that he was and how he was remembered. So Alfred made some major changes in his life. In his last will and testament, he set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. He gave back then what would be the equivalent to us about now, $250 million to funding such prizes. He had this rare opportunity to evaluate his life through what he read and made some significant changes so, so that through all of that, Long after he had passed away, there would be a change of how people assessed him, what people remembered, what his legacy was. And I think now if we hear about the Nobel Peace Prize, we don't think of dynamite. We think of this man who was committed to peace. You know, legacy, as David Devine shared with us last week, if you want to write this down, I think this is really important. Legacy is passing on to others in the now. Legacy is passing on to others in the now, right now. No matter how old you are, if you're 13, 15, 86, whatever your age might be, legacy is passing on 
in the now, right now, how you go about living your life. Not just what we want to leave when we're no longer walking the earth. The question is, what type, what are you giving to build that legacy? And we talked about this and they gave the example of the Lego. Piece by piece, piece by piece. Which leads us then to parenting. And this morning we, we speak, and I speak particularly into the lives of those of you that are parents. Those who are single parents, those who are grandparents, those who are parents to one child, those who are parents uh, to more than one child, those who are parents to newborns, to those who are parents of kids who are 35, 40 years old and everything in between, and those who hope to be parents one day. You know, there's lots of books on parenting. You go to Kurong, you go to Amazon.com or whatever and put in parenting books. You, it is unbelievable. It's just incredible. There's so many. There's so many books. There's so many stats on even how you should parent. And there's so much information on it. But I love what Proverbs 22, 6 says to us. And I think the Bible's got so much good to tell us on parenting. And Proverbs 22, 6 is a terrific verse. It says, train up a child, build into a child piece by piece in a way that he should go. Even when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. They will not want to ignore what you built into them. They will not want to reject it. They will not want to forget it. Train them up in a way they should go, which is really what we read throughout the Bible. You know, before I became a parent, I was the perfect parent. Did you know that? I was the perfect parent. I actually saw how others parent, and I just saw the error of their ways. (laughs) How they disciplined and how they didn't discipline who they let their kids date and who they didn't let them date. What they let them watch and what they didn't let them watch. I I was just, I've got to say, I was very good, just to give you a heads up. Then all of a sudden, on um, January the 7th, 1997, this child entered our world, Sonia's and my world, and I realised very quickly that I wasn't the perfect parent of little children I was still the perfect parent of primary school age children and high school age children. I was in youth ministry and I could see all the wrongs of their ways. But then as my kids got older, I realised that I wasn't the perfect parent to a primary school. Now, I'm not the perfect parent to a high schooler. I'm not the perfect parent to a young adult. I know some of you are surprised as you look out there going, what? I thought you were. But here's the thing, I'm not the expert as I stand up here this morning and I'm never going to be the expert. I'm along the journey with you, no matter the age of your child or children. What what, what I believe, and this might cause a little bit of controversy and I'm happy to have a chat with you after if you'd like, but but what I believe that um, the most important mission field that God has given to me are those three rat bags on the screen, in a way. But that's the most important mission field that I have and that Sonia has. 
that this, this is the people that God has called on me to invest so deeply in. And here's what I've learned, again, only on the journey, that sometimes pastors, Christian leaders, Christians in general get so caught up in ministering to everyone else, and that's not bad, but they actually forget their kids. And you might be sitting there going, well, that, that was me. But that's what happens. And sadly, the, the, the kids turn away from Christ because of how the parents parented them. This is the most important mission field I have. Until the day I leave this earth, they will still always be the most important. You know, when it comes to parenting, it never stops. For some of you, you're just starting out or you're about to become a parent. Others of you with primary school or high school or young adults or your children are married and they don't live with you anymore. You are still their parents and have the opportunity to continue to give into their life. I want to just take a moment to do something here that I haven't done before, but I want to take the moment here to acknowledge different parents that I've got to meet in my 12 years here who have done and set such an incredibly fine example for Sonia and I to follow. In the midst at times of your suffering or your children's suffering or your children's choices, you continue to support them. You continue to be a godly witness into their lives despite maybe their negative words to you or, as I said, the choices that they have made. I want to encourage you today because maybe it's been a long time anyone has. But I need to let you know that I see that. And you've done well. Continue to do it. Keep going. You know, in the book of Titus, in the New Testament, we read the author Paul. And for those of you who don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Paul spoke into a number of young leaders' lives. And he wrote this passage. It wasn't to parents, but I think it's a really good uh, verse for for parents to, to hold on to. And it says this, in everything, set them an example. Now, Paul's speaking to a young leader, but I think this is a terrific one to take as a parent. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Someone once said this, your children and grandchildren may forget what you say, but they'll never forget what you do. I, I understand the fact that this parenting can be tough. There's not a cutoff date when it goes, well, they're 21. All's good now. We've hit the 21 mark. I know it doesn't work like that. It can be tough. It can be difficult. But here's the thing, I want to say this to you, that, that, that I've had uh, more joy in parenting than nearly anything else. 
If not, maybe more than anything else. But, but there has been pain. There is pain that goes along the way. And I, I continue to want to learn how to be a better parent. I, I, I watch you and I, I want to learn from different people as they raise their kids. I speak to some of you about it. I'm not afraid to do it, as you know. I've learnt not, though, to pull you up. That's what I've learnt. I've learnt probably more than anything, you're doing a better job than I ever thought you could do. Because of the way that you go about it. I want to share with you five commitments this morning that some of you know you've heard them as you sat with me before over my 12 years here I've shared them once before I think back in 2007 but there are things that someone gave to me and that both Sonia and I we seek to put into our roles as parents that we believe they are biblical commitments that I don't think they age that you could be doing it when your kids are four and when they're 44 I think the Bible has so much wisdom when it comes to parenting. Now, I'm the first to admit that as I've looked through the Bible this past week, looking for um, biblical uh, uh, examples of good parenting, the Bible's not flowing with, with many. Just start reading through the Old Testament. There's some interesting ones there. But I think the Bible, I believe the Bible, I don't think I believe the Bible has some really helpful guidance for us as parents as carers as grandparents we can't read them all through now but let me just give you this 1 Thessalonians 2 7 to 12 says just as a nursing mother cares for her children so we care for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well Paul says surely you remember brothers and sisters our toil and hardship we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we are among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other as a father, as parents deal with their own children, encouraging them, comforting and urging them to live worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You know, I remember when Sam was young and uh, I've got their permission to share a few illustrations and stories, not all of them, so they're coming kids just to give you a heads up. But uh, no, I'm only joking. But I remember when I was young, he was really young and he used to say to me, Dad, Dad, a good parent is one who buys his kids Slurpees. <laughs> I... I as much as I enjoy doing that for him, I don't want my legacy to be that I just so remember about my dad. He just bought me Slurpees whenever I wanted them. That was his lasting memory of me. I, I, I want him and his sisters to remember stuff that's so much deeper, so much deeper to the commitments that Sonia and I uh, gave to them and me specifically. And I'm aware that a commitment and to stand up here this morning to say a commitment or to make them is a big call because a commitment is something you don't walk out on. A commitment is something that you stand firm on, even when the time gets difficult. So here's five of these. You, and I, I truly believe you can start today if you haven't even started on these sort of things or you go, well, I'm really good at this, but this one I'm not so good at. The first thing that I want to share with you is a commitment to have a deep interest in your children. Again, some of this stuff is no-brainer stuff. 
But the first one is this, is take, have a commitment of deep interest in your children. Time and time again, uh, in my time in youth ministry, uh, back in Sindal and back in South Australia, I would hear kids time and time again say to me, I feel as though my parents are not interested in me. And uh, both of these churches were churches where the parents, uh, numbers of them had significant amounts of money and these kids had everything that you would want. Everything you would want, these kids had. But, but they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't want a, a new car when they turned 16. or they, they didn't want thousands of dollars worth of stuff. They just wanted their parents to show an interest in them. And it was one of the more heartbreaking things of my job that I would go around and I would catch up with these kids time and time again in their home by, by themselves or just with mates because their parents just weren't around. These kids would even ask to me at times, why are my parents not interested in me? And sadly, I even still hear it today, but I hear it from 40-year-olds. I, I just don't know why mum and dad are not interested in me. Having a commitment to take deep interest in your kids. Asking them questions. There are times that I've learnt uh, with, with having teenagers that it... it doesn't always seem as though that they're so interested when I'm interested. But I know deep down, this will sound confusing, they are interested. I came across this letter that was given to me a number of years ago, and I want to read it to you. It says, Dear Mum and Dad, I don't think I've ever written you a letter, but I now, I am now, because I know if I tried to say these things to you, you wouldn't have the time to listen. It's just that Ever since I turned 13, something terrible has happened to us. We used to have fun together. Now all you do is yell at me about something. My room, my clothes, my music, my TV, my phone, my parents, my grades. Sorry, my friends, my grades. It's like whoever, whatever I do makes you mad. I know I mess up, mum and dad. What is killing me inside is that since you seem mad at me all the time, I don't want to be around you. I know it's not cool to want to be around your parents, but I am so lonely. I've got lots of friends. School's okay, footy's great, but I've got all this stuff going on inside of me. I've got all these questions about life and myself and God. I talk to my friends about girls, parties and footy, but I can't tell my friend, gee guys, I'm lonely. Gee, where is God when things hurt? I'm actually afraid of relationships with girls and the present pressure to have sex. When I'm alone, and I'm alone more than you would ever think. I fill my time with music, with friends, being on my phone, TV, but it doesn't do any good and I'm still lonely and I'm scared. So here I am. A year 12 in high school, feeling like a stranger in my own family. I look so together to everyone out there, but inside I'm dying. I'm so afraid I'll leave home, go to uni, get married, and end up like both of you. Strangers to each other, strangers to my own children. I'm afraid to give this letter to you because I'm afraid you'll get mad, or worse, you'll just ignore it. I don't think I can stand any more rejection from you, actually. I don't know if if I will ever give you this letter to you. 
That got shared with me from the parent because the kids actually, the, the son actually gave it to them. It was life-changing for them. But, but I'm guessing there's lots of kids out there that quite possibly could be that child in your home. But they might not be a year 12 student. They could be 38 years old, just in a different context. You know, a lot of us know the Bible. A lot of us know it so well. We know it really well. We know all that's said in there and the importance of taking interest in others and all of that. But the challenge is, again, for us, a commitment of interest into our own children. Maybe it is time to make a fresh start. Maybe it is a time to make a new commitment. Allow your kids to ask you questions. Ask them questions. Not, not as an interview, let's sit down, kids, or son. I know you're 38, but I've got some questions. Not, not, I'm not going to open up there. But to ask the questions of them. How is life? What do you think about this situation that we see? Where is God when things hurt? Talk about your own Christianity. Show interest in them. Do not, Philippians says, do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. You know, the best way someone once said you can show interest in someone is by your presence. And if you're struggling to know how you spell presence, it's T-I-M-E, time. Time. You know, I, 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 um, I know it's easy to enjoy time with your children when they have the same interest as you or your whatever it might be. And, and I've got two kids, Sam and Hayley, they, they love footy. We love going to the footy together. And I remember when I took Amy, our youngest, to the footy. Uh, she was only seven months, I think. No, she wasn't that young. But she was a little, little young kid. And the whole game, she just did that with her hand over her ears. And I was just like, you've got to be joking. You know, I realized, I said, you're grounded like that. It's not happening again. But, but I, I learned. I know she's there, so she's laughing along. But... Um, well, I think she's laughing. Um, we'll have a chat after because we're a very open family. But, uh, but I thought, I've learned that footy's not her thing. Even though I bought her the jumper and the penner and the posters and painted her room blue and white. No, I didn't do all that. But, <laughs> but um, oh, you know, the, the, she loves art. She loves music. She loves drawing. She loves writing. I can't draw. I can't write. Uh, I'm not artistic. But it's been this thing of just investing and taking an interest in all those areas. Is it still hard at times to, to do that when, when the footy's on, when other things are on that I know that the others are on? Yes. As I said, I'm not the perfect parent. But I know that that means so much to her because that's an interest that she has. It's time with her. As hard as it is sometimes. Quality and quantity time. And I know some of you, you sit out here and you're single parents and I just want to acknowledge you this morning. Or you raised your children as a single parent. And, and time is at a premium. I just want to acknowledge you this morning and say well done for what you have done. You, you, I've looked after my kids for a week by myself. And Sonia comes home and I say, see you later. I'm cooked. Uh, I'll come out in a few days. But, but I realise what an amazing job single parents do. Well done. 
It means the world to your children. I want to acknowledge that of you this morning. I've got lots of notes and I just want to say there's no way you can do all of this in one message. But here's the thing that I want to encourage you if you're a grandparent here this morning. That's one of the reasons kids come to you. Because sometimes their parents are so busy and don't show as much interest in them. You know, it's great to hear Jim's story this morning about investing in his grandkids. I, I, I came across this essay from a grade three who wrote about what her grandparents mean to her. A grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own. <laughs> so she likes other people's little boys and girls. A grandfather is a man, grandmother. He goes for walks and they talk about fishing and tractors. Grandmothers don't have to do anything except just be there. They are so old, they should not play or run. (laughs) It's enough for them just to drive us to the shops where the pretend horses are there and they have lots of money ready. When they take us for walks, they slow down past things like pretty leaves and caterpillars. They never say, hurry up. Normally, they are fat. (laughs) But they are not too fat to tie my shoes. I'm going to try not to laugh. They wear glasses and funny underwear. They take their teeth and gums out at night. They don't have to be smart, only answer questions like, why, why do dogs hate cats? And how come God isn't married? When they read us, they don't skip. Or mind if it's the same story again. Everybody should try to have one, especially if you don't have a TV, because grandparents have lots of time. Some of you are grandparents and I just say, keep being who you are being there for them. Show a deep interest into them because it might not be happening within the home of your own child. You might not know that. Have a commitment of interest. Have a second, have a commitment to encouragement. I love this quote out of a book called Sticky Faith that says, when your child fails or is disappointed, model a tenderness that communicates that God understands and will in time lift them up. What a great quote. That's encouragement. You you know how your child, no matter how old they are, needs encouragement? I'll tell you how you can tell. They're breathing. That's how you know. They're breathing. We all know this. I'm the same. I value encouragement. My dad rings me up every couple of days and uh, he just uh, wants to know how things are going for me still today he rings me up and I look forward to that phone call that's a really good phone ring just to put it out there <laughs> if you could send that through to me or sms me now that'd be terrific yeah you know um, one of the greatest examples of encouragement is Jesus The example of Jesus, as you read through the Bible, of how he encouraged people. Did he confront people? Yes, he did. But he encouraged Peter, for example, when he denied Christ. It's one of my just favourite examples to me of how our perfect saviour 
encouraged Peter, even though he denied him. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, then go and feed my fish. Go out there. I empower you. I encourage you to go. He encouraged people that no one else would speak to. He would encourage them and encourage them and encourage them. Careless words stab like a sword, it says in Proverbs 12, but wise words bring healing. Give encouragement. Most of us would know in the book of James where it talks about the tongue and the power of the tongue in in the two ways. It can speak encouragement, but my word, it it can bring such heartache. Words can bring such heartache and bring such evil and such deadly poison. Sometimes our children are the on the end of our most deadly poison words. Sometimes it's because they're an easy target. We see them all the time. Again, this is what I love in the Bible where Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, a good person or a parent, in this case I take it, has good things in his heart. And so he speaks the good things that come from his heart. But an evil person has an evil Evil in his heart, so he speaks evil things that come from his heart. If you've got a problem with the negative words that come out of your mouth, even to your children in this case, there's something wrong with your heart. If it's a constant, there's something wrong with your critical tongue at your heart. It's not in line with God, your heavenly Father. If you show me someone with a kind tongue, someone with a gentle and encouraging tongue, you'll see someone with a transformed heart. And I will tell you, 99% of the time, you will find a child following that, that parent who is like that. You know, I, I say this, and I'm happy to brag about this. I, I say to people that my wife is the most encouraging person I know. And I think that's why the kids, they occasionally, hopefully, follow me, but my word, do they follow her? So when it comes to encouragement, be, be personal with it. Don't be afraid. Be inspirational. Encourage them. So that's, a, that's a generational thing, and I, I know for some of us that's a really hard thing to do. You know, uh, one of the things I, I try to do, my mum and dad, for those that don't know, they live in Adelaide, and uh, in recent years I've really made a commitment with this in a physical way with my dad, because growing up, my dad just loves me and he's proud of me and you can't say a bad thing about me or he will come and hit you or whatever, but he loves me. And, uh, but one of the things growing up, my, my family, we weren't a really physical family. We weren't physical. So in the last few years, I've, 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 I've tried to hug my dad and it's one of the more awkward things you'll ever see. You know, it's, you know, it's like we're robotic, you know, a little bit, but, you know, slowly... And I'm going over in a week's time and I just think I'm preaching this. I'm going to give him the, my, my biggest hug and I'll get Sonia to video. And I'm just going to hug him, embrace him, but, but just to let him know I love him. I love him. When was the last time you did that with your child? Could be awkward. I know that. You know, I, I tell the story of Son's dad. Every time he came home when I was dating Son... And even to this day, every time he sees her, the first time, he doesn't care what's going on in the world, he will hug and he will embrace her and tell her, I love you, son. That's the first thing he does. I'm like, John, I'm over here. No, <laughs> bang, straight to Sonia. That's what he does, So, Have a commitment to encouragement. Have a commitment to a peaceful home. A peaceful home. I'm not 
talking about like Brady Bunch, let's all go and clean our teeth together before we go to bed home type stuff. I'm a realist. I know that I get frustrated at times. You can ask my kids, where is the remote? What did you do with it? (laughs) You know, your room is a mess. All these sort of things. What are you doing? Just silly things that I get so frustrated about. But, but I'm talking about long term. That your home is a safe place. The world in which your kids live in, they might not live with you. They might have gone many years ago. But they still need to know that your home is a safe place. That it's a place of peace in this crazy frenetic place out there if you're a young parent just starting out make this a goal that your home is a peaceful home that it's a place they can share the highs and the lows you know there are still times son and i will see john and ann we'll sit there and we can just talk to them because that was built up over years and years and years of investment of having a peaceful home it's not too late to start It's a massive commitment, this one, but such an important one that your place is a peaceful home. It's a shelter from the storms of life. Proverbs 14, 26, uh, those who respect the Lord will have security and their children will be protected. The Christ is the center of your home. If you're married here today, one of the key things you can do to make that place a peaceful home is to keep working on your marriage. That that your kids know that your marriage is strong. They see that. They see it through the words that you speak to one another. When, when, When Sam was really young, he used to love to see me kiss Sonia. That has seriously changed, but I haven't changed on the kissing bit. Sure, buddy, I'll do that again. No dramas. But here's the thing that they know, that that's such a really important thing for for your kids. Kids are sharp. They notice things. They notice when you've had an argument, let me tell you. It's long term. Focus on prayer. Peaceful home, it's a home of prayer. You know, this morning at 17 King Edward Avenue, Hawthorne, South Australia, about 6.45, 7 o'clock, like clockwork, my parents would have prayed for me today every day you know son and i love that verse that says pray continually we do that for our kids commitment to interest a commitment to encouragement a commitment to a peaceful home a commitment to to spiritually challenge healthy kids who have committed caring adults spiritually challenge them doesn't mean this doesn't mean they become a christian some of you sit here today and i'll address it in just a second your kids aren't christians and you've invested everything in their life and they have chosen at this time not to i want to address that in a minute but to do all that you can to make sure that you spiritually challenge them the greatest gift that you can give your children i love this quote is to let them see you struggle and wrestle with how to live a lifetime of trusting in god of following God's way. You know, for some of us here, maybe you've grown up in the church, 
but you've actually never talked about God or Christianity or your own faith in your own home. Impress on your children, it says in Deuteronomy 6, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Impress upon them God's ways. God's word to occupy what you talk about. What you talk about with them. Some of you go, Tim, it's too late. It's not too late. It's nowhere in the Bible that says it's too late. It's never too late. Does it get harder? Yes, it does. You know, for some, you know, and I worked in youth ministry, and this was one of the sadder things that I found. There was a lot of, lot of times with parents, especially of teenagers, would say, well, here's my kids. You got them for two hours, do all the Christian thing, and then they better become a Christian by the time it's all over with your ministry. You know. Now, sometimes it wasn't that clear in wording, maybe the odd parent, but sometimes that's the mentality. Within the youth ministry, even here, I can say this for Luke, he will do all that he can. But it doesn't work that, day, that way. It's the parent's role. It's important that you know God's word. What, what are you modelling? What do you model for your children? What are the words that you speak to your children? Is it God's words? Do you serve within the church, again, like a gym? Or do you mouth off about the church? Do you give generously? Do kids talk about that? Do you read and pray with your kids? Well, you don't allow time to do that. You know, that, that's one of the things that Son and I find. Our kids are getting older, and dinner table at times is very different. Sometimes we're in and out a lot more. But even now, we still try with whoever is there that we just want to hear how their day is and pray with them. Do a little devotion with them. And one of the great models, where's Andy Eden? Is Andy here? Andy's here. And I love the example of his mum and dad too, you know. It'd be great to speak to him about hearing the example of him growing up in his home and his mum and dad sitting around the table doing a devotion, talking about things, even debating things about that, but, but just getting into God's word together. And Andy, I'm sure you'd say that just so breathed deeply into you now, you know. And, and I think that's so important. That, that was a priority. So look for those teachable moments. For those of you here, I want to give you three things. For those of you that are here whose kids have chosen not to follow Jesus, that someone gave to me once, continue to have unwavering prayers for them. Don't, don't give up on them. That God can't work in and through their life. Have unending patience. Be patient with them. Don't be judgmental on them. Keep modelling to them your faith in Jesus. But have unending patience and continue to have unconditional love for them. A final one is this, a commitment to adoration. Now, we could say a commitment to love, but you might think, well, Tim, wow, I never thought of that. But a commitment to adoration is a little bit different. It's saying, I love you no matter what. I love you absolutely no matter what. Unconditional love. I'll, I'll, there's no conditions on my love for you. I love you unconditionally. 
Even when you make those bad choices, hey, we'll talk it through. I'll let you know that I don't agree, but I still will continue to love you. What kind of love, if I sat down with your child right now, would they say, mum and dad, well, this is the type of love they show me. It's a willingness to affirm them over their performances, over their achievements, or even the lack of them. That your kids really feel important in your presence, that they're valued, that they're loved. That you are the most significant people on earth in their life. Don't stop telling your kids that you love them. 1 John 3:18 says this, dear children, let us let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. You can never love your children too much. You can never be too generous with your love for them. Time's up. A commitment of interest, a commitment of encouragement, a commitment to a peaceful home, a commitment to spiritual challenge within the home and a commitment of adoration. Folks, I try my best with that. I think they're pretty much godly principles that I strive to live by. If I graded myself on all of them right now, maybe my kids are the best ones to actually ask how I'm going. But, but I know that I'm not a 10 out of 10 in all of them. But let me tell you, I want to be. That, that, that they're godly commitments, I believe, and they're lasting legacies that I want to leave with my kids. So when my kids have kids, if God blesses them with them, they will want that. They will want that because it's in line with God's way. I've got a little bit of a longer thing to read to you to finish off. Are you okay if I read that as a way to finish? Thanks. (laughs) No one said yes. I think this is a challenge as we finish up and as we think about this. He was a philosophy professor by the name of Lou Smeads. It was said he was so bright it was scary. He was smart enough to know there are a lot of things in life you don't have control over. When he got married, he and Doris wanted more than anything else to have kids, and they couldn't for years. Finally, amazingly, miraculously, she got pregnant and she gave birth to a little boy that lived one day and then passed away. And then they had to wrestle with God and their hearts about that. And then they adopted children and he became a dad. Here is what he wrote about it at the time. He wrote in his book, How Can It Be All Right When Everything Is All Wrong? I brought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year. Spiral bound, black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank squares. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I am in at the moment. Every square is a frame from one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I will fill the squares with classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through. And these are only the things that I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with things that I do not write down for me to remember. Thousands of cups of coffee. Sometimes I laugh so hard that my stomach hurt. Some praying... And I hope gestures of help to my neighbours. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the square are the walls of my time that organise my life. 
Everything I do has to fit into one square. Each square has an invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by a silent stroke, the doors open and I pull, it, pull through it, and if, and if by a magnet, sucked into the next square in line. There I will again fill the time frame that seals me, fill it with my busyness just as I did the square before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day I'll walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of the squares will be terminal. I do not know which square that will be. One day, Lou was putting Christmas lights up in his house. 81-year-old, up on a ladder, putting Christmas Christmas lights on his house. He slipped, hit his head, he went into a coma and sadly died a few years later, a few days later. The final square, the one he wrote about 20 years ago, came for him the week before Christmas. I went to his memorial service the service for this brilliant man who taught and preached and wrote books that touched hundreds of thousands of people. But the people who spoke the most unforgettable words that day was his son and his daughter. I'll tell you what mattered to them. Were not all the degrees that he had, not his remarkable IQ, not his amazing gifts as a speaker, not any of the books that he'd written. What mattered to them was the single title, Dad. What mattered to them was what he filled his squares with squares really wisely. And I thought of how little all of his other successes would have meant to him if he had failed as a father. I thought of how this amazing man could have been tempted to fill up his squares with other things that were just so impressive at the expense of what mattered most. I thought about how he filled up his squares really wisely so that when the last one came, as it always comes... He was ready. One day, you will enter that square and so will I. As surely are as we are in this room right now, one day that final square will come for us. And in between that day and this day, you will have some squares to fill. Nobody knows how many you get. Nobody knows. What I know is this. What you fill each square up with is up to you, not your boss, not your spouse, not the culture. God gives this square and then the one thing that you choose is, how will I fill it? And I just want to say, if as a parent, be very careful how you fill your squares. You can fill them with work and acquisitions and hurrying and doing thousands of things that you do and maybe even some pretty impressive stuff if you want to. And your children may not even complain very much. They may learn to give up, expecting the things will never change. But they'll know. They watch all the time. They know. No one in your life knows like your children know how you will fill up your squares and what that says about you really matters. And the good news is if you want, start today. Fill your squares with memories and moments and traditions and rituals of love and laughter and generosity of spirit and time. You can fill them up really well so that one day, when you've filled your last square, your children will still have that single belief engraved on their heart. 
I was loved. I was loved. Let's pray together. God, first and foremost, what we do know is this, is that we as your children are so loved by you. And I pray for anyone that is here this morning that is in a home or is in a situation where they don't feel loved at all, that their heavenly Father loves them so very, very much. And that they are so precious to you. I pray for us if we're here this morning as parents, single parent, grandparents, husband and wife, parent in the same home, carer, whatever our situation is. I pray, God, that we would seek to want to fulfill those commitments that we've talked about. I really do. Commitment to adoration. God, that we'd be committed to that spiritually challenging within our home, of seeking to have a peaceful home of encouragement, of acceptance in our home of our children. No matter what their age is, we know, God, that we have a call to be their parents till the very end of this time on earth that we have. May we, in a sense, as we read, Lord Jesus, fill our, fill our squares so wisely that our kids would always know that we love them so very much and that we've left them a legacy that they will want to follow into the lives of their their children if you bless them with that we pray this in your precious and your holy name amen